Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm John. And you're listening to Parenthetical. In this episode, we are going to be reviewing all of the Die Hard movies. One through five. I think it won't be that deep of a discussion, but it will no. be fun. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we have to delve into each one. It's We'll do little snapshots. Yeah, so let's just get right to it then. Okay. Mr. Mystery Guest. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Unless you want to open a front door for me. Uh, no, I'm afraid not. But you have me at a loss. You know my name, but who are you? Just another American who saw too many movies as a child. Another orphan of a bankrupt culture who thinks he's John Wayne, Rambo, Marshall Dillon. I was always kind of partial to Roy Rogers, actually. I really like those sequined shirts. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. In Die Hard, New York cop John McClane works to save his wife and her co-workers after they're taken hostage by terrorist Hans Gruber in an L.A. skyscraper. So, this is the first Die Hard movie I ever saw. And... The first one? Yep. <laughs> it's probably the first one a lot of people saw. And it's really good. It's a really good action movie. It's directed by John McTiernan, who also did the Predator movie, which is another good action movie. That and... is another good action movie. Yeah. So what did you think of this one? I love Die Hard. I think what sets Die Hard apart from other standard action movies is yeah. it's got it's just got it's got situations I don't see in other action movies. A lot of it's iconic. Yeah. It is. It's referenced all the time for a reason. What kind of situations do you mean? The fact that even though they're in this small space, he's tension comes from interesting things. Like that he's never seen Hans and Hans has never seen him. Oh, yeah, that is good, isn't it? Yeah, even though they're in the same place. Tension comes from... um, And a lot of the the tension is... Police can't get into the building. Him trying to get the police to the building in the first place is cool. And then once they're there, they can't really get in the building and he's working with them from the outside. Yeah. That's all cool. Yeah. And then also his wife on the villain side, when they're having like negotiations about what needs to happen with the hostages you see an interesting side of a villain you don't usually see yeah it's just and so there's three there's three different parties here they're all kind of they're all going for the same goal of taking down hans gruber the terrorist but going at it with for different directions being john McClane, and that intersects in interesting ways john McClane's wife and then the police outside the building yeah that, that is cool and some rogue people like the news reporters and stuff who are trying to go in individually and whatnot. Yeah, it also explores how the stupid media in this situation, the feds versus local cops. There's just a lot in the movie. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, that's really good. Um, and a lot of the tension, you know, there's not a whole lot of like just shootouts, but a lot of it is, you know, psychological. Like yeah. you were saying, like it's like, Will he be able to get the cops in the building, and will he not? Um, will Hans Gruber realize that the wife is John McClane's wife yeah. or not? Um, stuff like that. And so the tension here isn't just from the action sequences, which are good and sometimes very gory. 
Yeah. <laughs> it gets um, a little gross. But it's, um, but it's just, yeah, uh, very tense psychologically. Um, something I was always interested with in this movie or impressed with it is how, uh, so that cop has a story of redemption and there's two redemption stories because John McClane kind of has one too. Two they both work. Stories. Yeah. Well, what's amazing is that either of them work because yeah. I mean, stories don't usually work in movies at all, but that, that cop has a redemption story that is about, it, it establishes it. And then it, um, I think it's about three scenes of talking about to set up and release this redemption story. And it works, even though it's only three scenes long, which I think is just a testament to um, how well this movie is directed and its story is told. Yeah. So they can do something like that in three scenes, which some movies can't do in two hours. <laughs> yeah. So that's a good one. Uh, if I, I would give it a rating of A. A. Yeah. Yep. All right. Supposed to stay in your seat until the plane reaches the terminal. No frequent flyer mileage for you. Who are you? A cop. Cop. Yeah, one of the good guys. You see, you're one of the bad guys, and now that I got your sorry ass, I'm gonna trade it for my wife. When terrorists take over an airport in Washington, D.C., John McClane is once again tasked with saving the lives of his wife and hundreds of other hostages in Die Hard 2. So, this movie, like the original Die Hard, takes place on Christmas. Which I think is fun. It does, right? I literally forgot that the that's I yeah. forgot that the first one's at Christmas. There's like a weird Christmas motif in the first one that <laughs> I actually didn't think went anywhere. Well, maybe I, I guess I shouldn't talk about the first one anymore. Okay, so yeah, this one's on Christmas too. Super crowded airport, um, which I think is I like the setting of this one a lot. This is my favorite of all five settings. I yeah. think there's so many people in an airport. It's particularly, it's around the holidays, so there's all of these people. The terrorists take over, and they cut all communications, so all of the planes that are in the air have to continue circling, and everybody that's on the ground, like their flights are delayed, and there's this chaos, and everybody's scared, and it's a lot of people. And what's impressive is you can actually feel it well, it's on really such a cool. grand scale. What's really cool is how... Um, you're right. They do. They play that up really, really well. And the movie is kind of about like, um, while there's direct tension with John McClane talking to the terrorists who have taken over the flight controls and stuff, and the and the police and stuff talking to them. Another realm of tension is how the uh, airport security is handling the public, and they keep it under you know contained for a long time, like but you know even though they know the planes are like running out of fuel and um and that it's taken over by terrorists they they say that all the flights are delayed which might be possible because it's just snowing you know so they try to contain the fear of everyone in the airport there's this interesting but it does it really well undercurrent on all of the like on the planes too where you see that the flight attendants and the pilot know that something is very wrong and they're yeah. getting very close to being out of fuel, but they're all just kind of trying to stay calm. It's really good. Yeah. And my favorite thing in any movie, I always talk about this, I love when there's some plot happening like this and there's a lot of citizens who don't realize it. And then this, everyone on the planes and everyone in the airport are um, host 
to what's going on, even though they don't realize it until, you know, eventually they do. Yeah. And um, that's when it gets really fun. As <laughs> it's always really good. Scare- I, so I think Hans Gruber from the first one, the villain from the first one, is scary as a person just because Alan Rickman's performance is really good mm-hmm. and you can tell he's really intelligent. Um, the villain himself in the second one is not nearly so memorable, but he does really scary things, way scarier things. This movie is a lot scarier than the first one. Yeah, it's not afraid to um, pull punches. It like, if he wants to blow up a plane full of people, he'll do it. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> I don't know if that's a spoiler or not. Maybe don't put that. Because it's exciting when it happens. I said if he wants to. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> For instance, he might. <laughs> um, let's see. It much more, the body count in this one is higher, and the ruthlessness of the terrorists is more... The body count is crazy. ...high in this. Pretty gory, still. Um, I like this one's... This one is peak John McClane being freaked out by the yeah, stuff he's doing. <laughs> I like it. He's got like bug eyes like half the movie because he's so freaked out by the things that are blowing up around him or what he's doing to other yeah. people and This movie has a lot of um has a lot of plots going on too, I think. It juggles them pretty well like the first one because you have John McClane on the ground. You have his needs intersecting with the um the airport air control needs intersecting with the police forces needs intersecting with the terrorists intersecting with there's even people on the planes who are trying to do their own thing to help get rid of the terrorists so there's a lot of plots going on but it manages them all really well i thought an impressive feat like the first one i think and it keeps it engaging all the way through even when it stops being the tension stuff in the airport and it starts going to more um um expensive sort of action sets you know I think it still is good, which yeah. the original Die Hard never really goes into um, having, you know, chases and stuff like that. But this one does, and it doesn't lose itself in that, which is good. Yeah. I will say, so one of the things about this movie is that his wife is on one of the planes, but I never really felt, I didn't really feel the fear of John McClane um, wanting to protect his wife. I felt that he was scared for his wife in particular, also oh, yeah? for all the other people. D- I never felt like his wife was actually in danger, though. Yeah. Despite this, though, the reunion at the end is good. Yeah. Um. So maybe just another testament to the good direction on this movie. You feel no peril, and then the people who are in no peril reunite. You still, still like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So if I... I I'll give this one a rating. I like I like some more of the first one. I think this one is an S for me. It's a I think it's a really wow. ideal Yeah, it's an ideal action movie. It's suspenseful, it's funny, and it funny. when it does get into the more um straightforward action stuff like chases and stuff like that, it keeps its head and is still entertaining and and good and smart. So, I don't know what more could ask for. A <laughs> All right. <laughs> now, John, there's a significant amount of explosive in the trash receptacle next to you. Try to run, and it goes up now. Yeah, nobody's going to run, but I got 100 people out here. That's the point. 
Now, do I have your attention? As I was going to St. Ives, I met a man with seven wives. Every wife had seven sacks, every sack has seven cats. Every cat has seven kittens, kittens, cats, sacks, and wives. How many were going to St. Ives? My phone number is 555. No, 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 wait, I didn't get all that. Say it again. Not a chance. My phone number is 555 and the answer. Call me in 30 seconds or die. All right, seven guys with seven wives. Shut up, McLean. I'm good at this. Die Hard 3, Die Hard with a Vengeance, follows John McLean and Harlem store owner Zeus as they tackle the riddles and games of thief Simon Gruber, who is threatening to bomb several densely populated areas if they don't comply. So, first of all, the, um, I like the title of this one, Die Hard with a Vengeance. All the diehards continue with this sort of scheme of having clever titles integrated yeah. with the <laughs> franchise name. And, um, it's good. Now, you say that the villain here is a thief, right? Yeah. But you don't actually know that for a lot of the movie, even though you kind of suspect it because John McClane says, I think in all of these movies, it's always about money, you know? And in this one, it is still about money. But you don't know it for a while. And for a while, this movie is John McClane teaming up with Samuel L. Jackson to solve what seems to be just like saw like games around the city yeah, to save just people's like this lives. Raving lunatic. Yeah. Is giving them calling himself Simon and giving them puzzles and like they've got like a psychologist trying to figure out That's fun. Yeah. <laughs> what his deal is. Their relationship works really well. Right? They're relate the, the weirdest I love this third one. I really like it a lot. But there is this just bizarre subplot, I guess. It's not really a plot. It never comes to fruition. But there's like four different scenes where John McClane accuses Zeus of reverse racism. <laughs> Zeus is always saying like this is, a you know, white people problems because it's just like a white <laughs> lunatic, you know, trying to bomb. Um, and when he makes these jokes, like I'm not going to deal with these white people problems. John McClane is like, that means you're racist, but it, it never turns into anything. Um, other than that, I really like Zeus and John McClane's interplay, yes. And Samuel Jackson is good, right? He's yeah, funny. Yeah, he's good. He's funny yeah, in this he's movie. very funny, yeah. And he doesn't, um, um, like you're talking about, the riddles are fun. They are, yeah. I the- really, I watched this movie when I was a kid a lot, and um, I learned stuff because of the puzzles they had to do. And it's fun seeing John McClane, like, sweating and doing his big eyes, not because he, like, stabbed someone with an icicle, but because he doesn't know how to, like, do a puzzle. (laughs) And he doesn't know, because he can't do it, if someone's going to get stabbed with an icicle, for instance. Right, yeah. Yeah. So the tension works, too. Um, And sometimes it's like, they play games, but they're not being like, um, is it actually up their bombs or not? You know, and yeah, so they don't know, because so they have Simon, to do everything. You can never trust yeah. what Simon says. <laughs> Something else that I really love about this movie is I hate when in a movie there's the hero who's great at everything and everyone else is inept and idiots and needs to be saved. In this movie, John McClane is just one of many people who is good at their job and care about the city and the people in the city and they all work together and are like, like there's like professional teachers. There's a bomb guy. There's a psychologist, like I said. Yeah. And everyone is just good at their job and actually trying and working together. Yeah. The scope of these movies keeps increasing. So Die Hard 1 is in a tower. Die Hard 2 is in an airport. 
Mm. Our diehard three deals with the whole city. Yeah. And you feel it, which is really impressive because, you know, a lot of times, like in superhero movies, you don't feel that the city is in peril or that the city is collectively fighting against a thing. But in this one, you do. Like all the other ones, too, it juggles a lot of acts, I think. Like you said, you have sometimes Zeus goes off and does his own thing and, you know, separates the plot lines. You have what the the villains are doing and then you have what the police are doing in the city. So there's a lot of plot lines that's happening. I will say, this movie actually, it, it does not manage to juggle them forever, though. Because like you're saying, once the turn, the reveal happens where they're actually trying to steal something, the thieves are, um, I think it gets a little bogged down at that point, and it gets too many plot lines to juggle, and I think it starts losing some of its tension. I think Simon Gruber is actually kind of squandered as a yeah. villain, because he's got a really, in- like, a nuanced approach to things. He's got an interesting personality. Unlike in 2, he's not a guy who's going to blow up a plane full of innocent people. Yeah. Um, he's He puts more thought into things. Um, but then he just gets like a really unnuanced resolution and don't really care by the end of it. Um, what the he's ending trying to accomplish. The ending is, yeah, it gets very convoluted and yeah. it actually bogs it down more than the other ones. And then you get to the ending and the ending really, um, the endings feel so tacked on to me. Yeah. It feels like they might've had test screenings or something and the audience was like, where did something go or something? And they just wanted to answer that question because the production value on the ending is so much lower than the rest of the movie, and it feels rushed, and it feels tacked on. The ending is very bad. It's, all, it's a disappointment in this movie it's for me. It's not great. Yeah. So what did you, do you want to write, what did you think about this one? I still give it a B because I love the majority of the movie. Yeah, I give it a B too. It just gets bogged down near the middle and then completely <laughs> <laughs> not good by the end, I think. Stay stay right here for a minute, alright? What? Can't be a uniform, John. No. Get over to the wall, sir! Call to the favor! All you gotta do is go pick up a kid down in Jersey. Drive him down to DC. Hard can empty, huh? Can't be that hard now, can it? Oh, gotta be a senior detective. Live free or die hard, John McClane joins forces with a young hacker to combat the cyber terrorism of Thomas Gabriel. Another good title. Live this free one. or die hard. And the young hacker we're dealing with in this one is Justin Long. Justin Long is weirdly cast in this movie because she's, um, like, not nice, right? He's, like, kind of a... No, a, it's just that it's really poor. It's poorly written. They think they're giving him jokes, but instead they're making him kind of sexist. I don't know. Yeah. This movie's not... Um, the combating Good. terrorism and stuff. Yeah. It's not like the other diehards at all. There's no psychic trials in this one. There's it's like all a, just... It's like about three or four extended action sequences. There's and like a 12-year break. Oh, 12 years. Yeah. Wow. Between three and four. And it's... Hmm. felt it doesn't pick up the same it doesn't have the same feeling as the first three at all yeah there's no there's no feeling that anybody is in danger i guess um it really loses 
the ability that's true to, i can't even like yeah. what are they even what are the cyber terrorists doing they're just like photoshopping or no putting together little videos of presidents saying things yeah this movie's been created for the sole purpose of having long action sequences and and also being like techie yeah and the villain is like well an interesting the thing the interesting thing about the tech stuff is like it's kind of goofy but i think the movie kind of knows it I don't think it's trying to be too serious with that, and I think it's poking fun at itself. When it as mm, I think you're giving it it's two thousand and eight. Do you really? You think they really couldn't know that what like a download is? I don't think that it's a joke, John. <laughs> I don't not. think it's a joke. Well, so that there is uh, some embarrassing technical stuff in this movie that may or may not be tongue in cheek. Yeah, m- maybe not tongue-in-cheek it doesn't i don't think no you think that it's so what you're assuming is that they're so technically savvy that they're okay no John, you're right. hold on <laughs> that they're subverting it by doing kind of goofy like launch the downloads but then they have that scene the just standard scene of the big hacker named wizard just being a fat guy living in his mom's basement yeah yeah. Yada yada right. yada. Yeah. This movie's not like the other diehards. Um All cool women have disappeared yeah. without a trace. There's no cool women in this script, one like in the, all the other three. One of the biggest things this movie's missing is the characters don't make any choices ever. Which is a key for any successful movie, I think. In this movie, the goal is always very clear, and to get to it is the answer is always shoot the people who are in front of you, you know? <laughs> and so there can be no, there's no true choice. And all the other ones, there's the choices, like in Die Hard 3, there's a choice of how do you solve this riddle? Or should we try to do the riddle? Or should we try to forego the riddle and just save people who might get affected in case we can't do the riddle? Yeah. In 2, it's do we contact, do we try to contact the planes or not do that because they might blow them up? But in this one... There's no questions like that. It's always very straightforward. We have to get to the thing and we got to shoot the people in front of us. And how the only question is ever, how do we kill them fastest? You know, and that's not really a question at all. It's not a choice. The end result is always the same. So it's boring. I'm actually kind of boring doesn't cut it. I'm actually kind of shocked at how it's like, a, I mean, it's like a, like a gas. It just dis- dissipates as you you see a scene and then you're in the next scene. You can't remember the scene that came before it. Nothing there's nothing follows nothing, anything else. There's absolutely nothing distinctive about the entire movie. I can't remember a yeah. scene from it. It's just a bunch of like, it's, it's an assortment of action set pieces. Yeah. And the villain, what did you say the villain's name was? Thomas Gabriel. Thomas Gabriel. I feel kind of bad for him because the actor who played him at least, because the movie and the actor tried to make him like a diehard villain. Because Die Hard villains are pretty decent, right? They, and yeah. They, this movie even focused on the villain sometimes. It went into like his like bunker or whatever, where he is doing the commands and stuff like that. So it wanted to focus on him and make a good classic Die Hard villain. And the actor was really trying. He was trying. The lines hard. just weren't there. No, the writing. And was there's not good. no um, conflict, and so there's just nothing to act to at all. And even if you say bad writing with a sweaty forehead and gritted teeth, it's still bad writing, and you can't take it seriously. Yeah. So you just. It just couldn't do it. This is my least favorite. I give Mine it a D. Too. Yeah. You think even lower? <laughs> the shifty eyes. I'm trying to remember anything I like about it. 
Well, there's a part that is in the commercial, for instance, where they blow up a helicopter. But it's by... not even that cool. But there's some It's cool... a car flying into a helicopter, and it's not even that cool. F. I think there's some cool tech stuff. No. no. All right. F. <laughs> <laughs> What? It's a Moscow! You move stand to you! Do you think I understand a word you say? Jeez. It's okay. I'm fine, thanks. John McClane travels to Russia to hunt down his son Jack, who has become embroiled in the criminal underworld of Moscow in A Good Day to Die Hard. So I'll summarize this whole review right now with this movie. <laughs> this movie is all of the problems of the thir- of the fourth one. There's no characters. The action it's only long action sequences. There's no conflict really because the goal is always shoot the people in front of you. But the it, goal is find just like find people even to, to kill. shoot. You just yeah. get a big gun and go looking. So what it does though is throw off any pretenses of trying at all to be a diehard movie. <laughs> yeah, it does. And just goes right for being an action movie and is a little better for doing that, I think. It's true. It does not try to pretend to be anything that it's not. That's true. Sadly, it's not. Um, it's a, so it ends up being a little more exciting. The other original, the the first three Die Hard movies are so much more exciting because they take place in the brain for a lot of it instead of with a gun. But uh, this movie is fun, I guess. Brainless though, utterly brainless. Yeah. So the like you're saying the conflict or the um the main conflict is Bruce Willis with his son, right? Ah, uh, yeah. And something that surprised me about this movie, where the fourth one still had to like try to do Die Hard villain. One of the ways this movie throws off the shackles of the Die Hard franchise altogether is, I don't even know who the villain is in this movie. Yeah, it, it doesn't ch- matter. It changes a couple times, yeah. and they're kind of going around. And like you said, Bruce Willis goes to Russia with his son and finds his son and. They're basically, as far as I can tell, going from building to building, shooting people looking for a villain. <laughs> it was like, they're all Russians. They're trying to find one, and they kill a lot of people. Yes. And um, so it doesn't have any of that stuff. But because there's no villain, all of the dramatic psychic stuff has to take place between Bruce Willis and his son. Like, do you love me, Dad, or not? And it falls so wildly short. It's bad. It's awful. <laughs> so those scenes are bad, but there's few and far between and always punctuated with a raid on wherever they are at the moment. <laughs> they have to leave. I don't know. I've never really understood what the phrase balls to the wall means, <laughs> but it definitely has some kind of connotations of hyper-masculinity and someone smashing their balls into a wall. <laughs> and I think that this movie is that attitude. The first 30 minutes. It is so, I mean, the direction is like startling because it's so erratic. Yeah. And there's just things being smashed and it just gets smashed. And there's so many shots. If there's two people talking, there's like 800 shots from, you know. It feels like they so just, many different angles. Even yeah, for two people talking in like a cab, they have eight camera operator set up around the cab all photographing it at the same time and kind of shaking the camera yeah i can't <laughs> you can like see the director the whole movie like mopping sweat off his brow and like 
<laughs> having like pinpoint pupils <laughs> because he's drugged up or something. It's an insane direction. And possibly the camera operators are drugged and up. And for the first like 30 minutes, you're kind of into it. At least I was kind of into it just be because of the sheer energy. <laughs> you can't not be like, like having kind of a good time. It's because like the it's- director has stepped into your house and is shaking the television in front of you. <laughs> make it a little bit and more just, cool. And just screaming. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, can, it does not sustain that. It gets, after a while, it's just like kind of nauseating. Yeah. Um, now, the best part of this movie is... I think the beginning 30 minutes, which is a long car chase. Yeah. And um, it, when we were what they destroy so many cars in this thing. It, it may, There's so many cars destroyed that we Googled movie with record for destroying cars. And this it is up there. And it is indeed <laughs> high on the list. Like not only are cars being crashed and they're wrecking, there are those parts where they just like will drive like there's a part where Bruce Willis drives uh, like a Hummer, like on top of <laughs> a huge crowd of cars that are like waiting to go. Like, they're stuck in traffic on a highway, and he's just crushing all of them. And the camera relishes it. It's close-ups of crushing glass and and you know bent like roofs like and stuff like that. Windows exploding out both sides of the smushed car. It loves it. Um, lots of cars are destroyed. Helicopters are blown up. Special effects are kind of bad, but uh, they're yeah, they're, they're not good. Yeah, the practical effects are. It uses a lot of practical effects, which are and they're good. Yeah, but then when it does any kind of like CG, yeah, it's bad. Yeah, and the it's not a very pretty movie. It's hideous. Um, and I don't know. The cinematographer seems to be a little. It's a little heavy-handed. It's kind of distracting because there's always a stupidly bright backlight on all the characters no matter what angle it's coming from which Bruce gives all Willis of them like a glow has like a virgin mary halo glowing around his bald head the entire movie yeah and so it's kind of amateurish on that front i think but the action is good i give it a c i think it's a c it's a d <laughs> it's a d the it's fun for a while but I cannot forgive the writing, the acting, the cinematography. Eh. But it's a good time. For a little while. <laughs> and then you're like, enough already? But it's a good time. D. <laughs> D. Thanks for listening, everybody. That is our show for tonight. Uh, I think overall, we really like the Die Hard franchise. Um, especially the first half of it. And instead of doing the normal best to worst, I'll just give a recap again of what we thought. I heard one is a solid movie for both of us. We gave it both A's. Um, Die Hard 2, I thought was a little better, so I gave it S, and Amanda gave it an A. Die Hard 3, it's getting a little worse, but it's still fun. So we both gave it B's. Die Hard 4 loses the way a little bit. Amanda... I think it's uh, not worth watching at all, I guess. So she gave it an F. Well, do you know? And I gave it a D. Since I gave it an F, I've been feeling bad, but I still can't think of one redeemable thing about it, so I can't change it in good conscience. Well, there you have it. <laughs> <laughs> and Die Hard 5 gets a little better. It's not Die Hard, but at least it unbinds itself from the shackles of Die Hard and 
as fun, so I gave it a C and Amanda gave it a D.